Let us read the text first. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and following, but we will talk about verse 3 today. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil walkers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. Even anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation. Actually, the word should be the stock or race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as opposed to Hellenistic Jews. He is the pure breed Hebrew of Hebrews who still abide by the rules of the Jewish. He used to, that's what he's saying. I'm Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Amen. Last week, we talked about the dogs. It is an unoffensive word, but I try to give you the background information about that. He used three different words, dogs, evil walkers, and mutilation. But when you look at it today in verse 3, he simply says, for we are the circumcision. So basically those three words were describing the same group. They are the Judaizers or the circumcision party. We talked about it. We do not have those anymore. But we have legalists. They insist upon certain things for someone to become a full Christian or to be fully saved. We talked about Acts 15, how they talked about what is required. They said you need to be circumcised and to obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. So Paul, Apostle Paul, fought against them and they sent them to the Jerusalem Council. We also talked about Galatians chapter 2. How the circumcision party came from James to Antioch. And Peter removing himself from the Gentile brothers and Paul rebuking him. It began with the circumcision but Paul's charge against Peter is not that you are circumcision party and non-circumcised people, but his charge was basically, how is it that you, Peter, you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the circumcision party will not. They start from circumcision. They require circumcision. But they do not say at the end of the day, 
well, you are circumcised and you are not circumcised. They divide people by the racial line. Jews and non-Jews, and they will call them the dogs. So what Paul was doing was warning the Philippian church that do not succumb to the people who require the law as part of salvation and who will call and look down upon other brothers and sisters who are bought by the blood of Christ, but they will still despise them. They are dogs. So Paul is saying, you guys, you are the dogs. And actually, as a person who has two dogs, that's an insult to the dogs. If you teach dogs about salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, they will defend it to death. They will stay loyal to that doctrine. So obviously, Paul didn't have good dogs around him. But that was the, um, that was the background. Point of it all was beware, beware, beware three times. 2,000 years ago, at the time, it was about circumcision. So instead of looking at Christians as one body of Christ, the circumcision party, by the way, they're the false teachers. They were teaching false gospel, which is no gospel. So that version of the gospel, which is no gospel, does not save. Right? It sounds like the gospel. It looks like the gospel, but it is not. It is empty. It is hollow. So 2,000 years ago, the circumcision party was dividing people, body of Christ, according to the circumcision. We don't have that. I don't know any church or teachers who would insist upon circumcision. But the principle still applies. 2,000 years later, we still have legalists. Legalists, they are not introducing Mosaic law. There are some sects who, who actually, believe it or not, they insist upon Mosaic law to come back, which is just nonsense. But even though people do not insist upon the obedience to the law of Moses to be saved, we have plenty of people who will divide the church of Christ according to a certain external mark. Now, here and now, it could be political party. Do you belong to this party? Then you are a true Christian. If you belong to this group, you cannot be a true Christian. What about political candidate? I am so distraught that in our circles, pastors openly identify and support certain group and, and, and person or persons. Traditional pastoral wisdom is to preach the gospel, teach what the Bible teaches, and let people choose. But it is just openly talked about all the time, and I do not agree with that. What about hot-button issues? Then you are a legalist. You are like a circumcision party. Vaccine, mask, gun control, and so on. 
There are obviously things that Christians cannot agree with. But there are plenty of things that we need to talk about. It takes wisdom and patience and love. Not everything is black and white. But people will divide according to that line. And I'm telling you, then you are a legalist. And you are just like, acting like that circumcision party. You despise others who do not agree with you. Very first two questions that I was asked when I first came to this church. Just in my face was that, are you a communist? I said, what do you mean? Because I know many Westminster grads are communists. What? Second question. Do you vaccinate your kids? I was like, what is that? Very first question that I was asked. That's, that's legalism. We have plenty of those within the Reformed circles too. It's not enough. Christ alone is not enough. To be truly Reformed, you have to have certain things. I just so much of that is simply human pride. False gospel divides the church of Christ according to the line of flesh. Something that you could recognize. Something that you could point to. Just like circumcision, you, you could see it. And they point to it and they say, if you're not one of these, then you are not a true Christian. That legalism, not legalism in a sense that obey the law to be saved. I don't know anybody would say that. Any evangelical Christian, I don't think anyone would say that. But there are plenty of people that I've talked about, you know, these, these, these ideas. They will draw the line. And if you're not one of these things that I agree with, then you are not. I'm not going to talk to you. I cannot come to your church because you mandate this or you do not mandate this and all of that. It makes the church powerless. Not simply because it is divided church, but that kind of mindset does not have one's salvation as their primary concern. You see, that's the problem. When someone approaches me and asks me, the very first question is, are you a communist? I, I was never asked that kind of question in my life. Communist? Do you vaccinate your children? Implication was pretty clear to me. Shouldn't we, shouldn't a Christian, if you approach someone, shouldn't you ask a question, are you saved? Are you in Christ? Are you born again Christian? Shouldn't that be our primary concern? It should be. But when you make those, any of these items to become your primary concern, that is not a church. Because you are not 
concerned about the gospel salvation of soul and so on because it is simply boring. And you rather talk and fight about these ideas. That's why it renders the church powerless. Concern about soul, concern about salvation is not the primary concern, and that is not the church. Our prayer should be, Thy kingdom come. And Jesus said in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is spiritual kingdom. It is called by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. People who are redeemed, they worship triune God in spirit and in truth. It is not racial. It is not ethnic. It is not in any other sense identity markers but the blood of Christ. What is the chief act of saving faith? It is accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and for eternal life. That should be enough, and we should say that is the gospel, which raises a very important question. Who then is a Christian? If not by the fleshly distinction, how can you discern whether someone is a Christian or not? What are the marks? What are the marks of a true Christian? We talked about it last Sunday. If you say you're a Christian and if you are a racist, that's oxymoron. You are destroying the foundation of sola fide, justification by faith alone. You require something else, then that's the denial of the gospel. But we see plenty of that, and I'm confused, and you are confused. People lift up their Bibles and they do their thing. They put the cross. I see the name of Jesus. But they do all kinds of evil actions. And you wonder, hmm, is that person a Christian? I mean, he's holding up a sign of the cross. He's saying that he's doing, he, she's doing this in the name of Christ. But what does the Word of God say? It doesn't matter what person claims to be. The standard by which we discern anything is the Word of God. Simple fact. And here it is. Three elements, three traits, three marks of a true Christian. According to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, is that someone who worships in the Spirit of God. Second, boasts in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, who puts no confidence in the flesh. Those are the three marks of a true Christian. We are the circumcision, he says. Basically means we are the true Christians. Who worship in the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And you have to marvel at the wisdom of God. 
Paul always, the apostle always argues from the simple, straightforward gospel truth. It's not catchphrase. It is a simple fact. But consider these things with me today. And, and you will have clear vision of what it means to be a Christian. We are going to spend some time in it. But let me make three grammatical points about that verse. First point is this, before we look at three aspects. All three verbs, worship, boast, putting no confidence, those three verbs are all participles. Meaning, it emphasizes, they emphasize the ongoing nature or unending nature of someone who is doing this. So someone who says, I used to go to church when I was young. X. It doesn't work like that. It is someone who is worshiping in ongoing manner, unending manner. Someone who is here and now today, are you worshiping God in the Spirit of God? I, I was baptized. That's not, that's not, the, that's not the mark. I used to go to church. I used to teach. I used to serve. It, it's, not, it's not a mark of a Christian. Mark of a Christian is someone who's doing it now. Ongoing and unending nature of these marks. That's the first thing, grammatically speaking. Second is this. You have to take those three as a whole. You cannot do two and not do the third. The idea really is describing the true circumcision. Who are the true circumcision? Who are not, who are not this, this group, the, the, the legalists? Three verbs describing the same true circumcision. So you have to do all three all the time, probably not perfectly, but at least you have to have some evidence of it. Third is that those three things are visible marks. <clears throat> I don't want to spend too much time, but in the 80s, there was a big controversy called Lordship Controversy. Just because you claim to know Christ and you are a Christian, can you live any kind of life, ungodly life? People say, you cannot tell whether a person is a Christian or not. Only God could tell, so you shouldn't condemn anybody. Well, Bible says, Matthew 7, by their fruits you will know them, the false teachers, by extension false brothers, false gospel. You could tell by their fruit. These three things, worshiping God, boasting in Christ, and putting no confidence in the flesh, you could tell. So those are the three initial points that I want you to remember. It is ongoing. You have to do three. And it is, it is fruit-bearing. You could tell. So now go back and let's look at the very first aspect of a true Christian. Who worship God by His Spirit. Literally, who by the Spirit are serving God. The word really is serving, not worship. 
But I understand why they translate it into worshiping because serving God kind sounds like legalism. Just because you serve God. But it is more than worshiping God in the sense that you come to a church and you worship God. The word really is the activity in the temple of God. But let's focus on that phrase, by His Spirit. They are the ones who worship God by His Spirit. What does that stand for? Well, when Paul says, we are the true circumcision who worship God by His Spirit. By His Spirit is not there because Paul didn't have anything else to to write about. It's not a filler. Oh, let me just say by His Spirit. It sounds good. But when he says by His Spirit, he is saying a lot. And let me give you a few points. In Galatians 3, he asked this question to the Galatian church. I want to find this out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Receiving the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing someone is a Christian. It's not that he or she goes to church or anything, but do you have the Holy Spirit? Or does the Holy Spirit indwell you? That's the mark. But Paul is asking, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you have to obey the law in order to receive the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. You have received the Holy Spirit by hearing. That hearing with faith means faith in Christ alone. So when Paul says here, we are worshiping God by His Spirit, he is reminding the Philippian believers that you, or you have already received the Spirit. By hearing with faith alone. So do not fall for their false gospel. And because Holy Spirit, you have received the Holy Spirit, He is the one who is enabling you to worship God in spirit. When you think about it, circumcision party will never ask that question. Why? Because circumcision is enough. When they see circumcision, he, they will say, well, you are in. You are one of us. You are a true Christian. So, they will not ask, do you have, do you, have you received the Holy Spirit? It's not their concern. You see how it works. By affirming only the external signs, they deny the Holy Spirit. Or oh, Holy Spirit, it does not matter. As long as you have a mark, or you could say, as long as you are baptized, as long as you have church membership, you see, this is the same thing. By emphasizing those elements over against the true worship, true identity marker, that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who have the Holy Spirit and who don't. And that, that division is between the children of God and children of hell. Correct? So the true mark of someone being a Christian is whether or not that person has the Holy Spirit or not. How do you receive that Holy Spirit? By the works of the law? Or simply by believing? By believing. So, we are the true circumcision who worship and serve God by His Spirit. 
he is affirming and reminding them for all of these points. Who are the true Christians? Simply put, it is someone who spends best of their times, majority of their times in worshiping, in serving our God. That's the mark. How do you know if someone's a Christian or not? Mark should be that, that someone is worshiping God. The posture is one of worship. That's the mark. So, first mark is someone who worships or serves God by his spirit. Let us go a little deeper in who is the true Christian. That, and at this point, let me introduce you. And this was a great passage that I've read. It's so good that I had to share it with you. It's from... John Owen. And all these quotations, whenever I give you quotations, I will put this up in our blog section, in our sermonaudio.com, so you could, you could actually read for yourself. Very, very good and important. John Owen, first volume, The Glory of Christ. I am still in first volume. They have like 17 volumes. If I finish one volume a year, it's going to take, take me 17 years. And 10 more Hebrews, I don't know, 27 years. Ah, it's just so frustrating. But there was a passage, one, 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 one page, and he's asking, who's the true Christian? In the beginning of that book, his favorite description of a Christian is someone to whom Christ is precious. That's how you could tell. It is someone who considers Christ precious. If you don't, then you are not. I think it's a good, good definition. He gives this five somewhere in his book. Who is the true Christian? First one. Every believer sees here in this life an excellency, a glory in the mystery of God in Christ. That's mouthful. This is the distinguishing property and the character of saving faith, he says. What is it? It, saving faith, beholds the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that, what does that mean? Have you seen something of glory of God in the face of Christ? He's asking that question. That is the mark of a saving faith. It discerns the manifestation of glory of God in Christ. If you know something of, of what I am saying from qu quoting John Owen, there's a good chance that you are a Christian. Second characteristic is this. Our apprehension of this glory is the spring of all of our obedience, consolation, and hope in this world. What is it? You beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's the motivation of your obedience, consolation, and hope in this world. Third characteristic is this. From the exercise of faith herein does divine love, love unto God, proceed. Therein alone it is enlivened and inflamed. In what? 
Our love for God is inflamed as we consider God who is reconciling the world unto himself through Christ. That is the only object of divine love from God's side, but also from our side. How can you grow in the love for God? By meditating upon God who is reconciling the world through Christ. And he says, All other notions of love unto God in sinners are empty fancies. How can you grow in your love for God? No other points but meditation upon God reconciling the sinners unto himself through Christ. That's the only reason a sinner will love God. Fourth characteristic of a saving faith or true Christian is this. All believers are or should be conversant in their minds about these things with longings, expectations, and desires after nearer approaches unto them and enjoyments of them. It should bring delight unto your heart. That's what he's saying. When you think about these matters, it should bring joy unto you, and you have to be conversant about these matters. You have to know some of these things. And he says, if we are not so, we are earthly, carnal, and unspiritual. Fifth thing he caps this is this. Heaven will satisfy all those desires and expectations in what way? What is our glorification? We talked about it in today, chapter 9. Free will, the last paragraph. Only in the state of glory that we will sin no more, we'll desire good only, yes. But what is glorification? It is more than having the glorious body. He describes our glorification in this way. <clears throat> Herein is the glory of Christ absolutely of another kind and nature than any other creature whatever. And from hence, it is that our glory shall principally consist in beholding his glory because the whole glory of God is manifested in him. Did you, did you understand what he was saying? Your glorification and principal activity in your glorified state will be beholding the glory of God in Christ. That's what you will do in all eternity. You will spend all eternity beholding the glory of God manifested in Christ, His glory. Why is that? Because even in heaven, creator and creature distinction will remain. And his glory will be different from even our glorified bodies and minds and nature. So we could spend all eternity beholding Christ's glory because that's where the invisible, unseen God's glory is manifested. Where? In Christ alone. It was so good I wanted to cry. <laughs> John Owen. But that, that, those are the marks of a saving faith or Christian. Let's move on to the second characteristic. What is it? It's boasting. It's boasting. You look at someone, you see whether he or, he or she is a Christian, that person who is worshiping God by his spirit, 
Second characteristic is someone who is boasting or glorying. What's the object? In Christ Jesus. To boast, you look at someone, what they are boasting about, you could tell whether that person is Christian or not. I gave you two references, look at that. Circumcision party will always boast about something of human works. Why? Because so lucky day, there is no boasting. It is excluded. You could boast in the Lord, all that God has done. We only praise God for what He has done. There's nothing in me, nothing in you that could, you could claim or could boast. What have you done? When the faith itself is the gift of God, there's nothing, nothing to boast about. So he or she is someone who boasts in Christ Jesus. And you could tell. Because it is someone who is worshipping him, praising him, who is talking about him, exalting in him, proclaiming him, telling others and the world about him. So this is someone that you could tell, whose disposition is one of boasting in the Lord. If you have a conversation with someone, you could tell. Who's concerned, whether his concern is about Christ and his kingdom or not. Listen to what the topics of conversations would be all the time. If there's no mention of Christ, either he's he not a Christian or really babe in Christ. Third, final one. Third mark is this. <clears throat> Positively, he's worshiping God, serving God, boasting in Christ positively. But negatively speaking, he is someone who's putting no confidence in the flesh ongoingly. And what you have seen from verse 4, 5, 6, Hebrew of Hebrews, and all that talk, Paul is explaining and defying someone who's putting, putting their confidence in the flesh. He's explaining the third element, not the first and second. Why? Because so many Christians do first too, but will also put their confidence in the flesh. You will see that all the time. It could be some evil thing, some legalistic thing, but there are enough of things that just for the pure pride, I am a true Christian because I do these things. If you're truly reformed, you have to do this, do that, do this, and do that. Putting confidence in the flesh. All of that should be gone. Putting confidence in the flesh, it is, it is our ongoing struggle. It is a Christian sanctification to fight this. So, to the degree that you put your confidence in something, in the flesh, whatever it is, you take away your confidence and boasting in Christ. You take it away. It really is either or in this case. You dishonor God, you discredit Christ's work, and you interfere with the work of the Holy Spirit as you put your confidence in the flesh. And you don't want to be around with those people because it is just fleshly. It is unspiritual. 
It's just, it's just the, you just do not smell the fragrance of Christ, but the stench of flesh. That's what it is. It does not promote the glory of God and just remove yourself from those people. So, those are the three marks of a true Christian. True Christian. Whatever else there might be for today, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 tells us they are the marks. And you should ask yourself this question. Do you have those marks in you? Whatever else that you may put your confidence in, on your deathbed, it will not matter. I mean, it's obvious that they cannot save you, but at the same time, you will not have any confidence in the afterlife, if there is one, what I will find once I die, you will have none of those security. So, our covenant children, I want you to know you have to have these. Clear. The word of God is clear. You have to do this. Ongoingly, maybe not perfectly, but you need to see the evidence of it. If you don't have these, then what are you? You are on a broad path leading to destruction. And you have to think about that. This is a serious issue. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So you could cry out to God. God, I don't see these in my life. What am I supposed to do? God will show you, give you grace. That's a good first step. Let's pray.